we can predict with greater than 90% accuracy, not just if they have chronic kidney disease, but actually which stage of CKD they suffer from. We will unearth about 50% more members with kidney disease than the plans expect. That's Bobby Sapuka, CEO of Cricket Health. In honor of National Kidney Month this March, Cricket's here to discuss strategies for detecting kidney disease earlier. 90% of people with early stage chronic kidney disease don't even know they have it, according to kidney.org. Join us to learn why this is and where opportunities for transformation lie next. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For more information about our health and life sciences perspectives, visit our online healthcare publication called Oliver Wyman Health at health.oliverwyman.com and follow us on Twitter at OW Health Editor. I'm Jacqueline DiChiara, Oliver Wyman Health Editor. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I'm Tom Robinson, a partner in the health and life sciences practice here at Oliver Wyman. Today I'm joined by Cricket Health CEO and co-founder, Bobby Sapuka. Cricket is one of several companies designed and built to dramatically improve the way that kidney care is done. They're indicative of the growing realization that the current industry configuration doesn't work very well, and they're taking advantage of regulatory reforms to help them improve the system. We're gonna talk about the grim state of kidney care in the US, and what Cricket is doing about it. Kidney disease is one of the costliest chronic diseases we've got and the ninth biggest killer. There are over 37 million people in the US living with chronic kidney disease or CKD. Nine out of 10 of them have no idea of their condition until it progresses to end stage renal disease or ESRD, with many crashing into dialysis when their kidneys fail and they end up in the ED. In the US alone, we've got about 100,000 people waiting for a kidney and 90% of people with ESRD ending up in dialysis centers. Ending up in a clinic multiple times a week for hours on end to get blood cleaned isn't anyone's idea of good health, especially when other countries have far less life-disrupting approaches. Bobby, can we start with what your take is on all of this? Why has it got so bad? You've laid it out. The facts are daunting. I think the reason it got so bad is kidney failure for an awful long time. Any diagnosis of kidney failure was effectively a death sentence. There was transplant wasn't available. No one had ever heard of dialysis. And then in the sixties, when dialysis became a reality, unfortunately, it wasn't a reality for most Americans. It was too expensive. It wasn't available. And so Congress did something rather remarkable, especially given the current political climate when it seems nothing can get done. Uh, They passed a law in 1972 that conferred Medicare eligibility on anyone with kidney failure. So whether you were five or 65, if you had chronic kidney disease and you needed dialysis, you could obtain it through Medicare. So they became the the backstop, which was a remarkable thing to do. They stepped in and quite literally saved millions of lives. Unfortunately, no one back in the early 70s could ever have, have anticipated the sheer number of people who would end up developing kidney disease and then who would end up having kidney failure and need dialysis. And so the numbers in terms of patients have skyrocketed and the total cost of care has skyrocketed. That's the the position we find ourselves in today. But to get to your question of how is it like this, when Congress passed the law and said, we'll take care of dialysis, 
they put a pot of gold effectively in the dialysis setting. And so you started to see all of the innovation happening in and around dialysis. Uh, the machines were being developed, the companies who ultimately built all of these centers, the network of 6,000 clinics across the country to deliver dialysis emerged. That has been all of the focus of the entire nephrology space and the entire renal space. There are only 550,000 or so Americans on dialysis. As you said, there's 37 million Americans with, with chronic kidney disease, but all of the attention is placed on the half a million folks on dialysis and very little is placed on the tens of millions of Americans with kidney disease. I worked at Fresenius Medical Care for nine years. They're the largest provider of dialysis, uh, and they are actually also the largest manufacturer of machines across the country. But I ended up leaving because the incentives just didn't make any sense over time. I thought, and I think a lot of people think, that the answer is to go upstream and to engage with people earlier prior to their, them having kidney failure. That's where you work aggressively to try and slow progression of the disease and prepare them for other modalities, whether that's transplant, whether that's home dialysis, you name it. But unfortunately, we have a system in America today where all the focus is let's intervene only after kidney failure. And inexorably, that means dialysis in a center. I do want to get into your secret sauce in just a, a moment, but let's keep talking about the incentives for a second. It does seem that not only have we got this pot of gold, as you were describing, but it seems the Robin Hood game is alive and well in renal care and commercial rates are many times that of, of Medicare. Do you see the incentives as being broken today? How is it going to work? And how is it that cricket is able to make it work? So it is a crazy system right now. I mean, I think in lots of sectors of healthcare, you have differential payment between commercial versus Medicare, but you'll hear things of about 105, 110% of Medicare for commercial rates. For dialysis, it's very, very different. About 90% of the population is paid for by the federal government, 90% of the dialysis population. The other 10% are paid for by traditional insurers. And the reason for that is there's a, at the risk of getting into the weeds, there's a statute called the Medicare, Medicare Secondary Payer Statute uh, that requires commercial plans, group health plans to cover dialysis uh, for the first 30 months of dialysis or up to 30 months. So if you develop kidney failure and you go on dialysis, you can keep your group health plan for uh, the next 30 months. You can flip into Medicare any time you want, but over time, um, after 30 months, you'll automatically be flipped into Medicare fee-for-service. So as a result, you do have some a small percentage of patients who are covered by commercial plans, and the rates that dialysis uh, providers charge those commercial plans are many, many, many times the Medicare rate. Medicare rate today, on average, is about 250 bucks uh, per dialysis treatment. And again, as you said, it's three treatments a week. That does not cover all the costs of dialysis. And so as a result, the providers charge higher rates to the commercial plans to make up the difference. That in and of itself is not unique to dialysis, certainly, but the rates at which the differential that has emerged over time has been become exacerbated to the point where some commercial plans in some states are seeing you know, rack rates of several thousand dollars, if not more, per treatment, again, compared to 250 for Medicare. And the reason has to do with market consolidation. You've got two big players uh, who control 75% of the dialysis market. The insurers need to have those players in their networks to be able to show that they have an adequate network, both to their employers and if they're an MA plan to the federal government. And so uh, it enables Davida and Fresenius and some of the other dialysis providers to, to charge significant rates. So that's the dialysis problem. And if you go to any insurer these days, I think you'll find that we've moved well past payer frustration uh, and now we're you know well into payer rage. Uh, so they're looking for alternatives. 
the challenge is though, again, as I said earlier, there's 6,000 dialysis clinics. It doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense economically for someone to come in and say, Hey, I'm going to replicate the network of dialysis clinics. I'm going to build my own you know, network of a thousand or so dialysis clinics. That's an expensive proposition and probably doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. But I think what what Cricket is trying to do is to take a big step back and say, is this really the healthcare system that we would want to deliver care for kidney patients? Isn't the better answer to intervene with patients prior to their kidneys failing, engage them in their care, help them understand the disease they've just been diagnosed with? That's if they've been diagnosed at all. Um, we work with actually plans to identify patients who have yet to be diagnosed, but who almost certainly have the disease. We'll mine claims, identify these patients, and then enroll them in their, our platform where we deploy care managers, team of of folks, nurse, dietitians, social workers, pharmacists, and even a patient peer mentor, all of whom engage with the patient to help them, again, understand their disease, understand the diagnosis, and then we'll deploy stage-appropriate interventions. So for an early stage four patient whose kidney failure might be 18 to 24 months away, we will help them understand the disease, focus on diet, focus on wellness and exercise, make sure there are any medications that are on or managed properly. As patients progress, they'll have different modules that they learn from us and, and different pathways that our, our caregivers are going to engage with these patients, focusing much more on modality education, getting ready for transplant. If dialysis is what they're pursuing, then making sure that they have the right access that they're thinking about. And by access, I mean the way in which the blood uh, is going to be accessed for dialysis. Instead of a catheter, using a fistula for in-center dialysis, making sure you have a peritoneal dialysis catheter for home PD treatment. So again, lots of things to think about. And unfortunately today, the standard of care is patients don't realize they have the disease. They show up at a hospital, not feeling very well. The doctor runs a quick test and and tells the patient that your kidneys have failed. And so you're on dialysis today and for the rest of your life. By engaging early, identifying the patients early, we think we can avoid that situation. And how do you identify them early? You mentioned claims analysis. What exactly are you looking for? So the two biggest drivers of uh, dialysis uh, or, or kidney failure are one, hypertension and two, diabetes. So knowing that, we have developed a predictive analytics engine where we can mine claims data, identify, even if there's no diagnosis for kidney failure, we can identify kidney adjacent claims, if you will. So medications for hypertension, certain um, claims for whether they've been diagnosed for hypertension, certain procedures related to diabetes, and several other medications that are particular flags. By putting those all into our algorithm, we can predict with greater than 90% accuracy, not just if they have chronic kidney disease, but actually which stage of CKD they suffer from. And so we've worked with plans. We've done this for several dozen plans and typically find that most plans, uh, that we will unearth about 50% more members with kidney disease than the plans expect. The challenge here is that there's lots of folks who are both under and undiagnosed. So given the incredible expense of, of dialysis when things are caught late, What's what's the ROI on the on on your proposition to to plans? I think what plans are realizing, and this has been, I think, one of the biggest sea changes over the last uh, several years, at least in my experience, in a in a good way from my perspective, but it illustrates sort of the tragedy of what's going on here in, in kidney disease. And by that, I mean we're able to show them that you know even though you're maybe frustrated at the dialysis rates you pay to Davida Fresenius or anyone else. And even though that may be or has been historically your singular focus, there is far more to kidney disease than just end-stage renal disease. And there's far more to end-stage renal disease than just dialysis. In point of fact, for a 
dialysis patient, the dia- the cost of dialysis is only about 25% of the total cost of care. Um, inpatient costs can be 30, 35%, depending on the geography that we're talking about. So helping plans realize that the answer here is not just focus on dialysis. The answer is keep this patient healthy at home and out of the hospital. So that is our singular focus. There's three main buckets that we think we can really attack and that we've shown that we can we can drive towards, which is one, in the chronic kidney disease population stages 3B, 4, and 5, as patients progress towards kidney failure, we can help manage their care, engage them in their care, and keep them out of the hospital. And then as they approach kidney failure, if you were to plot the cost of care as a sort of in the months pre and post initiation of dialysis, there is a massive spike in cost. Um, to give you a sense of scale, Medicare per member per month cost for a stage five chronic kidney disease patient is on the order of $5,000. So $5,000 per month, it can skyrocket to 15 or $20,000 as you progress in the incident period of dialysis. And the reason is again, so many of these patients over 65% or so crash into dialysis, showing up the ER without knowing they have the disease and no surprise that's an inpatient setting. So they're starting dialysis in an inpatient setting. If they don't know they have the disease, they probably haven't managed their health all that well. And the onset of dialysis can be a massive stress test on the heart, the cardiovascular system, you name it. And so it can lead to complications to the point where the mortality rate, if you annualize the incident mortality rate, it's about 40%. So again, we've got huge mortality, huge costs, um, both of which we think by delivering a healthier patient to kidney failure, we can help dramatically improve. And then the last bucket is just the ongoing health of the dialysis patient going forward. The dialysis provider will take care of the patient in terms of dialysis, but we have, a, I think, a real role in keeping them engaged in their care and by showing them that they're in a sense the community, keeping that home dialysis patient dialyzing at home longer. I mean, these are amazing experiences that's so much better for the consumer and, and the financial cases is strong. One of the complaints I hear a lot from both employers and from plans is about the array of point solutions and the crying need for better integration. You're laser focused on kidney disease. Ultimately, do you see your future as being combined with other organizations that care to other chronic diseases so that we can have a more integrated setup across diabetes, hypertension, kidney disease, and so on? Without question, that would be the goal. And I think is the holy grail. Too many point solutions. We all focus on specific disease states, specific you know verticals within healthcare, and we don't talk to each other. And I think that's goes a long way to explaining why we have the fragmented healthcare system that we do today. Um, there are, I suppose, that certainly the tragedy of kidney disease is also, in some crass way, the the, the great business opportunity for kidney disease. And that is that these patients are so. It's not that they're mismanaged is that they're so wildly unmanaged that even a little bit of help will go an awful long way to improving their lives, improving their health outcomes, and yes, reducing the total cost of care. So there is an awful lot of work to be done to help manage these patients and to help improve them. So that's clearly, as you said, that's where our laser focus is. Over time, and I think that will take, unfortunately, you know, several years, but over time, we would like nothing more than to go even further upstream and engage with not just you know, the nephrologist, but it's really about engaging with the primary care doc. Primary care docs do just an unbelievable job you know, in an overwhelming circumstance of trying to manage all their patients' needs. And as they see someone with hypertension or diabetes, that's what they're focused on. And we've talked to them at length. They know that they, these folks will have kidney disease, but kidney disease to them is not the primary driver. At some point, unfortunately, though, it, it does become that primary driver. And so it's making sure that, that handoff between the primary care doc 
And whether it's cricket, a cricket nephrologist or a practicing nephrologist, that handoff has to be there. But if we could go further upstream to work with, you know, again, primary care docs, endocrinologists with diabetes to make sure that there's a seamless system for these patients and a seamless experience for them, that clearly is the desired end goal. One of the big regulatory changes we saw started this January, and we saw any dialysis patient could sign up for a Medicare Advantage. Do you think there's going to be a big cost shock to MA plans? And are they misbehaving using pricing and product design to sort of avoid avoid that risk? And, and then there will be, is there an opportunity to partner with people like Cricket to actively seek out those lives and just and perform better in that environment? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's it was definitely a concern. So the the change you're talking about is that for an awful long time, if you aged into Medicare and you selected a, a Medicare Advantage plan and then subsequently developed kidney disease and went on dialysis, you were able to keep your MA plan. But if you uh, had Medicare eligibility because of your kidney disease and you're on dialysis and then tried to select a, an MA plan, you were prohibited. The law didn't let you do it. So whereas you know a third to 35% of Americans who are on Medicare were in MA plans, the MA penetration rate for the dialysis population was on the order of 16 or 17%. And a lot of us in the kidney community thought that just didn't make any sense. Simply from a, a freedom of choice perspective, why you would discriminate against a dialysis patient just was hard to understand, especially given that an awful lot of the coordination of care benefits that an MA plan offers its members would be so important for this population. So when I was at Fresenius, I worked very hard to try and change that law and the law got changed. And as you said, as of January, now, if you're on dialysis, you can select an MA plan without regard to you know, your disease state. So it was a big win for patients, I think. The plans were not all that excited though, because you know, dialysis patients, as we've talked about, are expensive to care for. And so there was a concern that this massive potential massive influx of patients could be a real challenge for MA plans to manage. And I know I talked to a lot of folks in DC over the last six to nine months, and there were some, there were definitely, there were concerns that MA plans might try and do some shenanigans in the, in the, in the form of plan design or, or something else to try and keep these patients off. I certainly haven't seen it. I'm not that close to it, but I haven't seen or heard any reports that that is in fact the case. I do know that MA plans, to their credit, are laser focused on this and trying to understand how do we care for these patients. Certainly, they're going to try and focus, I'm sure, heavily on negotiating decent rates with dialysis providers. But they're also, to their credit, starting to realize, all right, if these patients are ours, wouldn't it be a better idea to try and engage with them earlier before kidneys have failed so we can, again, deliver a healthier patient to dialysis, perhaps prolong this, uh, or, or uh, delay the, the start of dialysis? And once they get on dialysis, they're just healthier. And so they're going to be out of the hospital as opposed to suffering you know, repeated admissions. And so they have reached out to Cricket. We have reached out to them and, and we're working with them. In fact, we just launched with our newest partner, Scott and White Health Plan in Texas, which is an MA plan. And we are thrilled at the engagement with the health, uh, that the health system and the plan has had and the enrollment rates with their members who, who have kidney disease has been fantastic. They really see the value of it. That's great to hear. And how does access play into all of this? And clearly you're helping, but kidney disease does disproportionately affect minority populations. And they're the ones that already have the access challenges. Are you expecting that your capabilities disproportionately help them? I think so. I mean, so our platform, so as I said, every patient who works with Cricket gets their own dedicated team. And this isn't a nameless, faceless bank of clinicians on a call center. If Bianca is your nurse on day one, then Bianca is your nurse throughout your journey. 
if uh, Adele is your pharmacist on day one, then again, Adele is your pharmacist throughout your journey. And we take great care and go to great pains to ensure that our, our care teams match and mirror the, the demographics of the environment in which we're operating. So it, we're you know, proud and pleased to hire an all-Texas care team for the launch with Scott and White, ensuring, of course, that they're bilingual, making sure that these folks understand and appreciate the unique needs of the local population. We are a virtual platform by and large. Um, our clinicians engage with our patients over our web platform so that we can scale, so we can see that many more people and engage that many more people. There is no question that there are patients uh, who do not have access to internet and do not have access to the kind of broadband that, that is required. And we are working with patients um, to make sure that if that is the case, we can still work with them. We have a call, we can get them the, the materials, we can engage with them over the phone. So we are working to make sure that we improve the quality of patients' lives, no matter where they are, no matter their, their social circumstance. But it is, it is a challenge. I think that the biggest part of what Cricket offers is a novel approach to engaging patients. There are a dearth of nephrologists and a dearth of nephrology care in some pockets of this country. And that's what a program and, a, and an offering like Cricket can help resolve and help uh, solve. That's great to hear. If we uh, raised the stakes a little, if we said you had all the time and all the money in the world, all the resources, what would you do to fix healthcare more broadly? <laughs> it's interesting to me. I mean, I guess one way of looking at it is we we certainly, as a nation, don't lack money. You can make the argument that we have all the resources we need. And then I think we just need to do a better job of allocating them. I mean, if you look at, I guess, Scandinavian countries, for example, they have better outcomes than us, but I don't think they have more resources than us. I think they just use them more wisely. If you need a novel therapeutic or cutting edge surgery, there's clearly no place on earth you'd rather be than the US. If you have a rare form of cancer, then uh, get yourself the Brigham or MD Anderson or Sloan Kettering immediately. But unfortunately, if you have a chronic disease and need good quality care management, or if you live in rural urban America and just want a good primary care doc, then you may be out of luck. And I guess don't even get me started on the status of public health in this country. And I mean, our performance with the COVID pandemic seems to be exhibit number one in what not to do, whether it's from testing to vaccine rollout. It's been, if not an abject failure, it's been certainly a challenge with the possible exception of what's happening in West Virginia, which has been terrific. I'm not saying chronic care management is easy, far from it. It requires rigorous time and attention, but I think that's the rub, especially in kidney disease. We're just not doing any of that today. These people, as we've talked about, are literally showing up in the ER with no idea what's wrong with them. I don't think that's a failure based on lack of resources. It's a failure due to misallocation of resources. So if we spent half as much or a quarter of much time, money, and attention on CKD as we do on ESRD, patients would have much better health outcomes, a much higher quality of life, and we would save the system a whole lot of money in the end. I think that's the enduring lesson of kidney care. And it's really why Cricket was founded. And it's the vision that we're trying to make a reality. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Bobby. This has been a fascinating podcast and appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out our other executive conversations on the business of transforming healthcare, featuring guests like Comcast, Aetna, Humana, Castlight, and many more. We invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified whenever a new podcast goes live. For more on today's episode, follow us on Twitter at OW Health Editor and visit our online healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health, at health. 
www.oliverwyman.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.